And now we're going to turn to our Bibles. And if you have a Bible with you, you may like perhaps to follow along with me as I read from Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 31. Mark 14, 1 to 31. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. 
Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock grows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Well, now we're going to pray together as we uh, consider the times that we're in and as we look to God for his help and as we pray also for Richard as he comes to speak to us in a few minutes. Let's pray together. And as we do so, we're going to remind ourselves of these well-known words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guards me, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who never leaves us. You are utterly faithful in times of sorrow and joy. On mountaintop or deepest valley, you lead and sustain us. You are our shepherd. We pray for those who faced the greatest challenges in this season. Those with underlying health issues, the weak, the elderly, those with disability, those caring for children with special needs, the lonely and the fearful. Lord, may your presence bring strength, hope, and peace. You are our shepherd. We thank you for all those in the emergency services, those who may be risking their own health to keep us safe, those who are overwhelmed and exhausted by the demands placed upon them. Lord, give them encouragement, energy and wisdom. You are our shepherd. We trust in you. We pray for the Tab family at this time, separated physically, but still one in Christ. We pray that this time would be an opportunity for bonds of love and care to be strengthened, that we would emerge from this period of isolation stronger rather than weaker. We pray for opportunities to bear witness to our hope and our peace. And we pray too for the preaching of your word, that we would draw strength from what you have to say, and that you would equip Richard for the task of speaking. 
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello and uh, welcome to this opportunity to hear and share the Word of God. We're continuing in our studies in Mark's Gospel and we come today to Mark's Gospel chapter 14. Mark 14 is a very powerful, powerful chapter because perhaps some of the things that we're most familiar with in terms of uh, the breaking of bread, the introducing of what we call the Lord's Supper, and in terms of Gethsemane and the beginnings of the sham trial, uh, these are events covered in Mark chapter 14. But there are a few things that are mentioned that we're probably familiar with, but do need some extra attention. And right at the beginning of Mark 14, we're told about the fact that Jesus is in Bethany. Bethany was a kind of a base for Jesus when he was near Jerusalem. It was very near, and so it was quite a reasonable thing if he was heading for Jerusalem and wanted time in Jerusalem. Bethany was a reasonably quiet place to spend some time before making that final journey into the big city. But of course, there's a bit more to it than that because Bethany, we know, was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And uh, they had their place there. And we know that Jesus particularly spent time with them. And uh, he was very relaxed there. It was somewhere where he could be quiet, somewhere where he could reflect. And we know that uh, those visits were very precious. And they were very precious indeed to Mary and Martha and indeed to Lazarus. And we know that Lazarus had died and had been raised from the dead, even by the time we get to this point in the story of the Gospel of Mark. But it seems there was another house. Now, there's no indication that Jesus stayed there, but he did go to another house, and it was called the house of Simon the leper. Now, Simon the leper, we know little about him, but he's quite probably the same Simon who's referred to as a Pharisee. And again, we can be pretty confident that when he's hosting this meal and there are a lot of people around, he obviously at this moment of time in history is not a leper. But the background to the reality that he had leprosy is kind of sticking with him and in a sense identifying him, I guess, among many, many Simons, Simon the leper. Now, again, we don't know this for certain, but I think it's pretty likely that he was healed of his leprosy by Jesus. Because Jesus is here as an honoured guest. He's not just sort of turned up because there's a meal going on and he thinks they look in. Uh, Jesus never did that. He went to places where he was invited. And of course, when he's invited, the opportunity for him to reveal himself, to do what the Father has called him to do, to show his glory and his majesty, and this was something that Jesus often did in a situation that he was invited into. We know when he went to Cana and when he went to the wedding, that invitation to that wedding was going to open up 
the first miracle as he turns water into wine. But there they are having their meal. And at this point, when the meal has been served and different things are happening, a lady steps forward. Now in Mark's Gospel, we're not told specifically who this lady is. But this particular story is recorded in all four Gospels. And so when you read the four accounts, you discover that this indeed is Mary, one of the sisters. Why has she come to this meal? In some ways, you could uh, consider her a gatecrasher. She has no right, as it were, to be there. Why has she come? And it's because on her heart is a very real understanding that it's not going to be long before Jesus goes to the cross. Now, quite how that reality had come to her, we're not told in specifics, but she was the one, remember, who sat at the feet of Jesus. She was the one who took time to seriously reflect upon what he said. And undoubtedly, in the conversations that ensued from the lips of Jesus, there must have been talk about the fact that he was going to go to the cross and that he would rise from the dead. And again, those who heard that, the disciples, and I believe Mary as well, hearing these things, it, it, it's a bit surreal. It, 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 it can't really kind of get to the centre of you. Is this real? Is this going to happen? And there must have been the questions and there must have been the uncertainty. And yet, because it's the Master, because it's Jesus saying these things, there has to be in the depth of the heart a sense, this is going to happen. And you may want to put it out of the mind and not think about it too seriously, but something moves her to go to this feast, to this meal, and she goes with this ointment, which is incredibly precious, costs a fortune, and she pours it out over Jesus. Now, Simon, the Pharisee, and others in the room, including Judas Iscariot, uh, they are, they're appalled and they think, you know, what a dreadful waste. You know, this, this costs an absolute fortune and you're just pouring it out over Jesus. Why are you doing this? But you know, Jesus says something. He says, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You see, sometimes people perceive things in very different ways to others. And often we perceive things in very different ways to how God perceives and sees things. And the attitude to this great act of sacrifice and devotion and love is really being written off as just a dreadful waste. Quite ironic that Judas thought it was a waste because he was a thief. And he'd regularly helped himself to what was in the bag. But uh, that's the hypocrisy that can be in all our hearts, my heart, your heart. We have to be very careful before we sort of start to criticise because sometimes what we're criticising 
there may be a grain or even more truth about how we are and how we act. But uh, Jesus says, even though this woman doesn't understand everything that's going on, it's not going to be long before I'm going to be taken and before I'm going to be stripped naked and I'm going to be crucified and I will die on the cross and after I die there's going to be a scurry of activity because uh, of the Sabbath and the need to get the body out of the way as quickly as possible. This woman, whether she realises it or not, is recognising that I am precious, that I am of immense value and that my sacrifice is going to be a sacrifice above any and every other sacrifice that will ever be made. The gospel will be preached and her act will be recognised because what is happening in the subsequent events and even around the attitudes around the table in this meal, the suspicion and the hypocrisy and the anger and all of these things, what this is all about is why Jesus has to go to the cross and why he has to die and why he has to surrender his life so that these attitudes and many other expressions from the sinful heart can be dealt with. And Jesus, who sadly will be treated almost like trash, Jesus is the most precious one of all. He is the darling of heaven. He is the one who will be worshipped day and night well, is being worshipped day and night and will be worshipped day and night. And this woman, in her act of great sacrifice, has just given giving a little glimpse of how incredible it is that our Jesus should succumb to the cross, to death. And though there won't be much time for a full anointing of the body, this woman has done it in advance. She recognises Jesus is truly, truly special. Well, after such an act, it's quite interesting that Judas has made his mind up. He's made his mind up that he's going to betray Jesus. And it's after this that he goes to the chief priests and negotiates the deal that will allow him to betray Jesus to them. And we know he's going to get the 30 pieces of silver that will come his way into his pocket. Again, just the whole attitude of greed. There he is condemning the sacrificial act of the woman and he's about to pocket pieces of silver in order that he is then able to betray Jesus and he's received his reward. It's really quite sickening if you think about it. It's really quite sad how twisted the human heart can be. How perhaps in one sense he would be justifying himself. This is a reasonable thing to do. I don't know what was going on exactly in his heart. Some say that uh, his zealot background, his enthusiasm to overthrow the Romans and Jesus hadn't walked that road. He hadn't walked a political walk. He'd walked in compassion, he'd healed the sick and he was heading for the cross and uh, Jesus, Judas just feels he's not the one I want to follow anymore. And so he betrays Jesus. When he comes back after that act of betrayal, the deal is done 
and uh, the way it's all going to unfold has been settled because in the darkness of the garden where there are many figures who would appear like shadows, which one is Jesus? And of course, in their warped minds, they would think Jesus might try and run away. So it was important to have a clear sign of who was Jesus among the various other people in the garden. Now, we know Jesus was never going to run away. Jesus uh, had set his sights to go to the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't going to avoid it. And yet, in their thinking, they want to be sure. They don't want to get to a time of arrest and take someone before uh, their Sanhedrin and various other things that were going to happen. They didn't want to do that. And someone who says, that's not Jesus, you've got the wrong one. They want to be very sure they've got the right one. And so the plan is set. But what happens then for Jesus is that Jesus is going to prepare the way for the Passover. He's going to prepare the way to have that meal with his disciples. And again, the story of the breaking of bread, we see it in the Gospels, and particularly in Matthew, Mark and Luke, we, we see a clear record of how Jesus took bread and took the cup. And although up to this point he'd followed the procedure of the Passover meal, he'd done everything that the Jews did, but he is now doing something extra special because he's going to pick up that bread and he's going to say, this is my body which is given for you. Take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There are a number of things that one could say about this, uh, but in many ways they constitute many, many messages by themselves. We're looking at an overview of part of Mark 14 and later the rest of Mark 14. But what here we're identifying and seeing again is that Jesus is just being so incredibly selfless. This is not any self-pity, oh my body is going to be broken and given and my blood is going to be shed. That's not how it comes across at all. And of course that's totally untrue. Jesus isn't thinking so. It's this bread is my body given for you. This cup is a picture of my blood which will be shed for you. It's for you, it's for you, it's for you. That's what this is all about. He's going to have to pay the price. He's having to go through the suffering. He's having to go through the death and the ignorance of the cross and all of the hatred and bitterness that will be pulled and thrown at him. He's going to face all that. But in these moments, Jesus is saying, this is for you. And of course, we know that uh, looking at the whole picture, he said uh, we were to do this in remembrance of him. It's for us, but we do it in remembrance of him. To honour him, yes. To praise him, to worship him, yes. But in order that we recognise that he's doing this for us 
so that we can receive forgiveness, that we can receive eternal life, that we can receive peace with God, that we can have a brand new start because of what he is doing for us. And we read when they sang a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. One of the things about this set of events and the things that are happening is that in some ways they're things that Jesus had done many times. He'd had a meal many times and sometimes with Pharisees and different groups of people. He knew about hatred in the heart of man. He was not a stranger to that. He also was familiar with the Passover. It was something that he would have celebrated, at least we know, from the age of 12. So there were many Passovers. And yet we know that in these events which have a similar ring to them, there is also something quite unique. Many meals, but only one where a woman anoints him and prepares him as it were for burial. Much hatred, but only one time when a betrayer, Judas Iscariot, goes to the Pharisees, to the chief priests, gets a money deal in order to make sure Jesus is identified. And of all the Passovers, it's only this one where he says, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Take, drink, this is my cup, the, the blood that is going to be shared, the blood of a new covenant. So these are things that are absolutely wonderful, precious, special. Now, Jesus, as we've been saying, Jesus has handled the woman who has uh, truly acknowledged who he is and wants uh, him to be honoured and respected against the backcloth of people who didn't really have much time or interest. And uh, Jesus has handled Judas going out to betray him. And again, although the rest of the disciples didn't really have a clue what was going on with Judas, uh, Jesus knew he was not called out. He wasn't surprised. He knew what Judas was going to do. He knew everything. But there's something else that Jesus is going to need to deal with, which, again, is an incredible reality, a very sad reality. He's going to need to warn Peter, Peter, you will deny me. You will deny me three times. And uh, Jesus uses the scripture, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be sat shattered, scattered. And this is really just uh, exactly what's going to happen. And yes, all the disciples will, will run away at one stage. They'll all uh, get out of the way, get out of the heat because of the confusion and fear and all sorts of things going on. But Peter, who was renowned for his absolute tenacity, uh, his impetuousness, yes, his uh, commitment to Jesus, you know, I'll die for you. That's the sort of statements that Peter would make. But uh, Jesus has to say, Peter, 
you will deny me. You will deny you ever knew me. And Jesus took no pleasure in that. Jesus took no pleasure in that at all. It wasn't, oh, well, I knew that would happen. I believe there's also a sadness in the heart of Jesus. He's got to confront Peter because it's not that Peter is insincere. It's not that it's all talk. In, in Peter's heart, that night, he had an attitude which was saying, whatever happens, whatever others do, I am going to stay loyal. That was truly in his heart. But when the pressure was on, and when the chips are down, as we shall see in the message that we'll share later on today, he is going to deny Jesus. So, as I kind of bring this together, are we going to be like the woman who says, I will sacrifice whatever for Jesus. I'm prepared to do whatever for Jesus. Others may despise him, but I will demonstrate I love him, I value him, he's precious. Will there be those who, who will betray, who see that money, material things, power, is more important than following Jesus? The seeds of that can be in the hearts of others, not just Judas Iscariot. It's important that we look at our hearts, examine our hearts. Will we be true to Jesus? It's important as we break bread and as we take of the cup, that again we appreciate that this is Jesus giving himself, honouring the Father, being thoroughly obedient, and he's doing it for us. And then again, it's important to look at our hearts and say, do I deny Jesus? You may not deny him like Peter did, and we'll look at that a bit later, but uh, maybe there's other ways. Maybe you duck opportunities to speak up for Jesus because you're not really sure what people will say and how they'll react. As these verses that we've read and shared together of Mark chapter 14 continue to unfold, it's good to say, Lord, examine my heart, test me, help me to be honest about what's going on inside me. And by your grace, may I have a heart which says, I worship you, I honour you, whatever the cost. God bless you and uh, enjoy the rest of this day and may the word of God fill your hearts. God bless you.